Good morning. I'm Terry. I was a Lutheran preacher for about 35 years. We had a tradition in the Lutheran church that we had a greeting, which you probably all know. We'd say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would respond, and also with you. So they were having trouble with the sound system one day, and the pastor stepped up, and he said, we're having trouble with the sound system. And the good Lutherans responded, and also with you. Um, pastors asked if I would preach this morning because we all know that Jaime and Hannah were married yesterday, and I take it it was a joyous celebration. I didn't hear on the news any events, no police were called, that kind of thing. Um, and I, we had lunch with Alex the other day, um, who I dearly love. I'm president of the Alex fan club, um, as many of you are. Um, he, he said that he was the DJ. So there's so many layers to Chatham Community Church and its pastors. And my wife, Nicole, and I are so glad to be a part of it. We started worshiping on Alex's invitation around first of the year, and we really have not looked back. So it's great to be with you, and it's, a, it's an honor to be asked to come off the bench this morning. I made the mistake the other day of uh, getting, getting up on the roof to try to clean the solar panels. And I got to tell you, getting up was, was easy, but getting down was downright scary. <laughs> I, I was th on the roof thinking about yelling to Nicole to call the fire department to help get me down. And I literally began to shake. And uh, I slowly inched my way backwards to, uh, toward the ladder, and I got down safely, shaking all the while, and for about 20 or 30 minutes after that. So today, as we celebrate uh, the marriage of Jaime and Hannah, and this weekend we begin a series called Age to Age, the Big Story of God's Faithfulness. That means diving into the Old Testament. And of course, when we hear Old Testament, I imagine there's some interior shaking going on with you right now. But I reminded myself that in faith community, we can walk together and we can hold hands and discover the depth of discipleship and grow into being God's people every day, every week, and forever. It's good to say what we don't know. It's even good to acknowledge that some of these Old Testament words and names we can't even pronounce. But see, the abundant life that we're called to is a deep one. And certainly the discipleship model that the pastors have created here is one of the many strengths of this church, as are the many planned out and prayed out sermon series offered here. So today we begin to take on two challenges. We have two goals. Uh, the first goal is to, uh, and I don't have a slide for you this, on this, but the first goal is to organize, as Pastor Alex says, to organize the Old Testament closet so that we better understand how the stories fit together, not only in the Old Testament, but in the whole timeline of Israel and in the New Testament as well. Making sense of the Old Testament beyond Moses, King David, and the Ten Commandments. Those are all important but perhaps more helpful in an ordered timeline and chrono chronology so that we can better focus on the God of grace, hope, and mercy and see the Gospels in a new light, especially as we move into 
Advent. And so the second goal is to replace our perception of the angry, grumpy, old Testament God who's, um, you know, got baggage, right? So to replace the angry Old Testament God with a truer picture of the God who is faithful age to age. And so that we see our lives like the orange sheet that you have, the chronological timeline that you have, you can see that this all fits together, although it feels very random at first. There it is. There's the chart, and you can take that home with you. So ultimately, where we're going in this series is to see that Jesus shows us the same God we're going to meet throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, don't feel apologetic or don't feel bad if your Old Testament knowledge isn't quite what your New Testament knowledge is. That's okay because that's part of what we do here is we just kind of deepen our understanding and get a grasp of things so that we can see the bigger picture. We've seen the face of God. We know who he is. His name is Jesus. And this is the God who always keeps his promises even when his people do not. A better understanding of the Old Testament as it fits in with the New Testament will lead to a better understanding of how Jesus fits in and how he completes the gospel story. And guess what? So do we. This understanding, maybe a deeper understanding in this series, will help us live out the fullness of how our faith story fits into the faith story of the larger faith family going all the way back to Abraham today and in the future. And, and of course, we can relax a little bit today because the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham, is, is pretty straightforward. Abraham, Abram rather, becomes Abraham through a faith journey which ends up affecting us all. We're here today because we were blessed by him who is blessed by God, and we are the blessing to be the blessing. And we're talking about that, of course, here in the church in many ways, shapes, and forms. So, of course, this is also a timely series uh, as, as we see what's going on in Israel and Palestine. And the, the, the many suffering people are, are heavy on our hearts, yeah? We can hardly imagine the suffering and the agony at a distance, although we see it on TV and we groan. But as God's people, we pray, we carry them in our heart, and we hold them in the Spirit of God. As disciples, the 21st century disciples, I would add, we pray continually. We pray for God's righteousness, his mercy, and his justice, which will unfold in due time, no matter how things look. And just as hard as it was for me to imagine getting off that roof safely the other day, it's hard to imagine that we ourselves just might be the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Wow. But here we are, the 21st century disciples wading into territories unknown and perhaps with a bit of trepidation, and that's okay. Maybe like you, you've wondered at times what you would be like if you had a different name. 
what if my parents had named me Terrence instead of Terry? I might have had a different perception of the world. The world might have had a different perception of me. But what if you had a different name? What if, say, sometime in your 30s? Of course, it happened to Abraham in his 70s, and somebody lived 205 years. I want their vitamins. But, but what if God gave you a different name? Or what if, uh, say, in your 30s, God said, I'm giving you a new name? That happens about 16 times in the Bible. And what a, what a name change um, represents is a, a completely altered life from the one that the person had lived before. And that, that may take a while. Abraham was, was 75. And that most often, that name change, and you know some others, Saul to Paul and, and Peter had a name change, um, those are for God to establish a new identity and purpose, the purpose that God wants um, the person to embody. Remember the book by Rick Warren years ago, The Purpose Driven Life? That was a big seller. And, and it was Thoreau that wrote that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. As Abram becomes Abraham, it also marks, and this is important, it marks a transition for the Jews becoming a people of God and beginning their divine charter into the land of Israel. Perhaps more importantly, and don't miss this, his journey symbolizes, Abraham's journey symbolizes the break with pagan idolatry to the commitment of monotheism. What's monotheism? One God. And not only for us as Christians and Jews is it monotheism, it's what we call ethical monotheism, moral monotheism, which should gauge everything we do, not only as Christians, but also in our culture. And we know the culture struggles with that. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of, of the Torah, the law. The words of Moses, in the same way that we have a lot of the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of Peter in, in the Gospels and the Epistles, Deuteronomy is the words of Moses. And in 6.4, we find the most significant statement of the Jewish identity. This is key. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What is that? That's an expression of one God the expression of monotheism, that we, just like the Jews, and beginning with Abraham, who's kind of wandering in life, that we worship one God, the God, or C.S. Lewis says, not a God, but this God. See, this is the overriding expression of monotheism. And Jesus, well-versed well in the scriptures, grew up in them, uh, a good Jewish kid who was called the Times Rabbi, he says in Matthew 12, 28, this is the greatest command. Well, what's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God, and you shall have what? No other gods. No idols, people. Nothing else. So not only should we be grateful to the Jewish people for bringing monotheism to the world, we're wise to pause and do an idol check ourselves. That's a lot of what we do in Advent, right? We kind of prep our hearts. We make room in our hearts 
we look in and we look up and we kind of check where we're at. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods, is commandment numero uno. And I barely made it through Greek, so that's all the Spanish you're going to get out of me. So Paul, when he speaks of Abraham, Paul, who had the name change from Saul, who was a pretty good Pharisee, we might add, in Romans 4.3, he teaches that Abram was renamed when he believed God and was counted, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, that's a whole other sermon for another day. But note this. You, you got to hear the nuances sometimes in Scripture to, to really understand what's going on. And here's one of them. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness. Whose was it? God's. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness. It was his belief in God's righteousness. Give me an amen, Belinda. <laughs> you know, in something like 35 years of preaching, that only happened to me twice. But Lutherans don't sit in the front row either. So, And if this is National Nut Day, I'm right at home. So, so often, we confuse our own righteousness with God's. That's the sin of pride. Again, another sermon. But I love what Aunt Lamont, my, my mother was a recovering alcoholic. Um, God, God bless AA that saved her life. But so is Anne Lamont. And she's a real, real, bless you, a real insightful preacher and teacher and, and author. She's basically known for the books that she's written. But I love this quote. And I, I probably should have captured that for you. But listen, the difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. <laughs> right? So many, many folks make the mistake of trying to ride on their own morality, their own perceived righteousness. But that only makes them a prig or a Pharisee. Hey, and please read Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God, and it is back there, along with some other Tim Keller stuff. It will certainly explain such things to you through the lens of the prodigal son. And so we, we see, I'm going to make sure that, yeah, I'm ahead on the slides, but, but we'll catch up there. We, we see in the beginning of Abram's life, um, life of faith, that he was considered the first Jew and one of the first to argue with God. My kind of guy. Wow, I got to thinking about that. And maybe that's part of our faith development. You know how you have that? Sometimes prayer just rolls into a kind of an ongoing conversation with God. And then before long, you start questioning God. And before you know it, you're arguing with God, <laughs> thinking that you can, which is kind of funny. But I wonder if arguing with God is just not a part of our faith development. I just spoke of my mom. She would have been 95 uh, just uh, about a week ago. But she died in a car accident when she was just 56. And in an Irish Catholic family, emotions were expressed in basically three ways. Sarcasm, humor, or anger. So the only place I could cry the day of her funeral was in the shower, and I raged at God. I, I, I remember it distinctly. I was saying to God that, be still and know I am God. 
is just not good enough. Ironically, it was her death that bolstered my decision to go into ministry just a few years later. Talk about change. Often, listen, often what's not good enough now becomes more than enough later. And it all depends on our perception. So faith without doubt is really no faith at all. Belief is tested faith, and it doesn't come easy. Abraham believed God's word, followed God's call, and exalted God's name. In Genesis, um, we don't, if you you think about it and you look back, you don't really find a faith-centered family. You don't find a God-fearing family. They're not thriving. They're just another pagan family, and they're barely making it. The, the, the fact is, Abram's family was at a dead end. Do you know any dead end people? I do. And they seem so hopeless. On the other hand, do any of you have any grandkids? Yay, grandkids. Yay, grandkids. They rock. Are any of you crazy about them? Oh, come on. (laughs) Yes, you are. You don't love them. You adore them, right? Well, that's partly because they're cute. Yeah, but they're so full of joy. They're so full of hope. That's one big reason why kids are so important here in a church. They're God's hope in our future. But just as God breathed righteousness in Genesis God speaks hope for all humanity, including us, and through those kids with Abram. God figured that, here's God's math on this. God figured that one blessed man could bless millions of others, and so can you and me. Blessed to be a blessing. See, if you pull anything out of that passage with all of those names and places, pull that out. God's call is an invitation, but it's always followed by a challenge. For Abram, the challenge was to go from your country. I don't have any plans of moving to Ireland. I would love to move to Australia, but I got too many cats. I mean, (laughs) they quarantine him for six months, and you can only bring so many Can you imagine? I mean, like, look, go from your country. That's not like going to the fair, as risky as that may be, parking in crowds. But, I mean, my gosh, go from your country. And here's here's Abram just trying to figure it out. I mean, he's really not that deep in his faith at the time. So, yeah, here's, here's the slide, right? Now I've caught up to it. Doing two things at once is not as easy as it used to be. So God, God and Abraham, God and Abraham are having this conversation. This might roll into an argument at times. This is a little bit of maybe the argument going on. So, God says, I know your father won't go, so you go. Now, family for the Jews at that time. As it is now, if you read between the lines of what's going on in Israel, family is everything. And God says, um, your father won't go, 
He doesn't say that doesn't matter, but he says, you go. Get yourself out of here now. So just as challenging, God says, I will give you the rest of the details later. That's not going to work for me. Details later. I want the whole plan sketched out. But but listen, sometimes the miserable life we know looks better than the own life, the unknown life we fear. Some here's this is an important point. My, my I got to credit Jim Abrahamson as my my coach and friend of many years. Some people would rather be certain than wrong, right? And it's killing them because it's their own perception of certainty instead of reality or worse, God's. Certainty has become one of today's idols. It certainly has politically, and sometimes it does religiously. But fortunately for um, Abram and for us, nominal belief no longer worked. He was being nudged. He was being prodded. And sometimes God was even pushing. Abram's conversation is something like, well, you know, God, I've come halfway. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's the slide ahead. I'm all right. Not really, but hey, you know, God, I've come halfway, and this is as far as dad and everyone else wants to go. What, what is he? He's kind of he's kind of deferring to the crowd now. These guys don't want to go anywhere. Nahor and all the guys, I just can't get them. They're, they like it here, and they don't want to go any farther. After all, I've come halfway. That's a killer. Tim and Kathy are awesome. He's gone. She's not. But read anything that Keller and Ke- Ke- Kellers have written. How often have we only gone halfway and called it a day? Yeah, come on. I, listen, I've done that so many times in my life. But God, God is God, and God's not having it. And he says, then come yourself. This applies to us all. It, it's not good enough to be part of a Christian ethos. It's not good enough for you to say, yeah, I feel good in church. I feel good when I sing the songs. Yeah, of course I feel good around Christians. But have you met God yourself? Have you gotten out of yourself? Have you encountered him in yourself, in your own self? Has it penetrated you as an individual? Have you made the personal commitment? Rick Warren, our Baptist brothers and sisters like to say that, but I mean, there's something to that personal commitment. Do you see that's the first thing? God doesn't want to rebuild parts of you like a remodeling job, Lewis says. He wants to tear it down and start over and give you back yourself as you were always meant to be, your purpose, your calling, your personality. The point is that belief has to be personally radical. Henry Nouwen writes about radical space for God. You can't come into anybody else's, you can't come in on anybody else's coattail. It has to be your faith. And as Christians, we can never stay where we are. A very prevalent danger for Christians is to get comfortable, to stay where we are, and listen, to make church our home. I used to tell this to mission developers when I was one, and I trained them. Churches that grow, grow when they give themselves away. Churches grow, just like Christians, 
when they give themselves away. If you've ever noticed in Acts, my favorite book, that's the book on how to be church. People grow deep and then they go wide. It's never reversed. I, I used to, Lutheran churches just ask me all the time, how do we grow? How do I grow? I'd say, <laughs> you go deep and you wait till God grows you because he will. If you go deep, God is going to grow you and God's going to kick you out that door. Amen. See? Four in a career of 35 years. I'm on a roll. <laughs> National Nut Day. Woohoo! I hope they're recording this. We have it now forever. <laughs> Jesus always says, go. Go tell, go work, go in peace, go get your husband, go and sin no more, go preach, go to the next town, go into the village, go into the street, go make it right with your brother. Go quickly, go into all the world. Go make disciples. Of course, to go, we have to leave some things behind, and that's the hard part. So it comes to this. What are you willing to leave behind? This is a good question. Many years of ministry, many years on this planet, I struggle with that all the time. What am I willing to give up to follow Jesus? The biggest mistake we can make is to be willing to go but to try to drag all of our stuff, we call it baggage, try to carry all of our baggage with us. It was Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor, by the way. Um, um, well, there's the slide I didn't want to repeat. But, bon, bon, but Bonhoeffer said that discipleship is not a human offer. If you're here today, you're being nudged by God. That wasn't necessarily your wife, although it could have been, or your husband, it could have been. You're being nudged by God because he's offering you something much bigger and, and wider than you'll probably ever, ever comprehend in your life. Paul preached in Philippians, I love this passage, continue, continue, no matter where you're at. And whether you took a spiritual break for six months, okay, everybody needs a break. I had to get off some of my daily devotionals. I couldn't handle them all. I needed a break. The biggest mistake we make sometimes is to say that, oh, since we stopped, we got to keep stopping. No, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me tell you, that adrenaline was pumping when I was on that roof. I was trembling, literally. I got down and I was shaking. With fear and trembling... What's that say? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be scary. It's going to challenge you. It's going to shake you up. But listen to what Paul says. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his purpose. His purpose. And discover his purpose and here's the real test of the disciple. What have we left? What have we left behind? Scripture clearly asked disciples of Jesus to lose their old life in order to find their new life. It was um, an author who wrote um, Rosaria uh, Butter, Butterfield. Yeah, she, she has quite the bit of baggage in her life, but she said, I had to ask what I'd given up to know him and know myself. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go um, to Paul again here in a second. 
you, you, see, you see the change happens, um, clearly happens, more clearly than maybe it is now. The, the change happens when we stop thinking about obeying and begin to obey, right? There's a difference. When you forsake your plans for your life and accept God's, and you know you've stepped across the line from unfaith to faith, when you hear God's word as a word for you as you step over the line, when God ceases to be a theory and Jesus becomes your reality. See, people would love to have a generic God because a generic God doesn't really ask us all that much. But Jesus is a God who does. And God did ask Abraham. You know, Paul says in uh, Hebrews 11, that's, that book means little teachings. We're not exactly sure who wrote it, but it's good. By faith, it says obey your leaders in that book, so you should read it. No, I'm kidding. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. God wants to give you your inheritance. So... Jim is the one who said that Christianity should be intellectually convincing, spiritually satisfying, morally transforming, socially connecting, and culturally inspiring. Don't complain about the culture unless you're willing to take it on as a disciple of Jesus Christ. God promised to make Abraham a great nation, a blessing to be a blessing. And leaving behind his kin, he left behind his old identity. God promised... Abram, who would become Abraham, he would be a blessing for years, thousands of years to come. And so what happened? The average Abram became the awesome Abraham because that's what it means in the Hebrew, father exalted. It was God's awesomeness. It was God's righteousness. It was God's purpose. Believing God's word led Abram to follow God's call. He gave no details. He rarely does, but the call was to follow and obey as he, as he never had before. You see, um, for Abraham, it was everything was by faith. He believed God's word. He followed God's call. He built altars in pagan lands. He exalted God's name. By faith, he lived his life. Life didn't just happen to him. He happened to life. In you shall all the nations be blessed. We take on God's name and God's purpose. We come his, become his righteousness now and in eternity. Abram becomes Abraham as he becomes God's man. He believed, he followed. So here are today's takeouts. I kid. Takeaways. Obey. You know, we forget that God's around and wants to do stuff. God isn't in just in the book. Those are the directions. It was now in who I love who says that he will, he will guide you, direct you, challenge you, correct you, and form you. Change. It was Lewis that said, you can't go on indefinitely being just an ordinary decent egg. You have we should use that on Easter. <laughs> but that'll be your A team. We should build. You know, feel the dreams. Build it and they will come. And if you don't build it, they won't come. 
build altars to God, and to, to God, the God, in pagan places. Invest. Don't just consume. Go. Last of Matthew. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in God's name. And the Holy Spirit will move in and through you to make that happen. It's not that you do it. It's that God wants it done, and he needs willing participants to get her done. So remember the saying, your life is God's gift to you, and what you do with your life is your gift to God. And now let's all together as the people of God say, Amen.